You know, one of the most painful experiences a person can endure, one of the most painful, is the breakdown of a relationship. Resentment, bitterness, hurt feelings, even envy, there are so many things that can creep in over time. And it's like, it's like water in a foundation. It freezes, it thaws, it freezes, it thaws, and over time it makes the foundation crumble. And what probably troubles people most of all is that we know how to have good relationships, don't we? We really do. It's, it's not a matter of knowing what to do. We all know that communication is crucial. You have to be able to, to talk to one another and speak clearly and understand what the other person is saying. And we know that there has to be gentleness and kindness towards one another. You, you can't always be scowling at someone and being sharp with your words and expect the relationship to go well. You have to be patient with one another. You have to serve one another. And we know all of these things. And yet so many relationships, even among believers, are suffering. Why is this? Well, look, I'm not just talking about husbands and wives, by the way. This is where the mind always goes. No idea why. Children, parents, employers, employees, friends, mothers and fathers, in-laws, extended family. Why do we so often find that our relationships with others are strained? When we, especially when we know so many of the right things to do. We know how to make them work. Why don't they work? Well, the reason really isn't a mystery. Even though we know the right things to do, we do not always do them. We're not always kind to one another. And we're not always patient with one another. Sometimes our words are harsh. And if not our words, then our thoughts. We miscommunicate. We misunderstand. And often in our uh Exasperation, we can even become hostile towards the ones who ought to be the objects of our affection. And we hurt each other and we wound those relationships. As much as we do not want to do those things, and as much as they are sins to be put to death and not to be tolerated, they happen. Sinners sin. And so what then? What then when your relationship is like a book with a broken spine ready to fall apart or your marriage is like a frayed sweater that one snag could unravel you wonder can this broken vessel be made new it's a key that's bent can it be made straightened again or is the wound just too deep and the hurt too much and the relationship just too far gone what if I told you there was a medicine that could repair any broken bond? A medicine that not only could repair it, but like a broken bone, heal it stronger than it was before. There is such a medicine, and it's found in one word. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is how you repair the wound left by the unkind word. Forgiveness is how you cover over the irritation or impatient outburst. Forgiveness is how you handle the communication that's broken down and how you begin to rebuild it, knowing that you're just as likely to do the same things that so offended you. We must 
forgive. And even though that word isn't present in our passage this morning, it is impossible to love and impossible to keep in step with the Spirit without forgiveness. Galatians 5, 13 through 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would deal with our hearts this morning. I pray that you would help us to see the kind of forgiveness that reconciles and covers over a multitude of offenses. There is a forgiveness like this found in you. The forgiveness that you hold out and that you work in your people is unlike any forgiveness that can be known. Lord, it reconciled us whose sin put your son to death to you. It is a powerful forgiveness. It is the ability to overlook, to put behind our back, to deal with bitterness and resentment, to love like you, to look like you. And so I pray this morning our eyes would be fixed on you, that we would know what you require and what you work in your people. Forgiveness, grace, mercy. It's to you we look and in you we hope. For apart from you we can do nothing, but in you we can do all things. Even this most difficult task of forgiveness. This most joyful task of forgiveness. Since in your name we pray 
And we ask for help this morning. I ask for your help in the preaching of your word. I ask for help for all of us here to be able to understand it. I pray that your spirit would be at work in this place for your glory and for our everlasting good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, have you ever tried to clear a tree stump out of your yard by hand? I see some heads nodding. I know a few of you have. It's not an easy thing to do. There are... Uh, there might only be a small amount of the tree remaining above ground, maybe only a foot, but, but anyone who has ever removed a tree knows that it's underground where the, the real struggle lies. In fact, oftentimes there's just as much under the surface as there is above it, and, and you have to dig down and you have to dig around all of the roots and you have to get under them and cut the roots off, and uh, some of them can be six inches around. It's, it's quite, a, quite an ordeal. Once you get it dug out and you get it, get it cut free, you have to tie a rope around it or get down under it, get it out somehow. And then once you do that, it's still not over, the work, because now you have a huge gaping hole in the yard that needs to be filled. It's not an easy task. And nobody who has to do it looks forward to doing it as they've ever done it before. But you know, there's actually a secret to doing this. There's actually a very easy way to remove unwanted trees from your property. You know what it is? You can do it with your fingers and your thumb. As soon as the tree starts to sprout, and it's only about this high, you take hold of it and you rip it out. And not only will it take no effort, you won't even notice that the tree was there. In Luke 17, Jesus warns his disciples that grudge-bearing and resentment and unforgiveness is like that tree. Verse 3 of Luke 17, he says, Pay attention to yourselves. So somebody is sinning against them. Somebody's wronged his disciples. He says, you know where you need to be paying attention? Not so much on them. You need to pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, seven times in one day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent. Hey, I'm sorry. You must forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree or a sycamine tree, a tree with a, a deep and twisted and extensive root system. If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Jesus knows how deep the roots of unforgiveness can go. And Jesus knows the importance of being ready to forgive. He says if you let that tree grow, it will spread out its roots 
and put your soul in a stranglehold of resentment. The tree will be dug in and it will bear a very bitter fruit. It will cause trouble and cause division between family members and between groups of people and between friends. Nothing good. Anybody in this room who has done this, has experienced this, you know it's true. Nothing good can ever come from grudge-bearing or score-keeping. It defiles people. It's a failure to love, similar to what we read in Galatians 5.15. An unforgiving spirit bites and devours and consumes others. Now certainly it's not walking in step with the Spirit of God. And what might surprise you, maybe it won't surprise you, but people who have never even opened their Bibles actually recognize the importance of forgiveness. Psychologists, counselors, one of the things that they know is that people need forgiveness, both to receive it and to give it. Because refusing to forgive, not only does it harm the relationship, it actually harms the person holding the grudge. Did you know that? Well, yes, if you refuse to forgive someone, you won't forgive them. Maybe you'll have something to hold over their heads. You can hold something over the head of someone who wronged you. You can make them feel bad for what they've done. It hurts them. But it hurts you even more. I mean, it does. Not forgiving, yes, it can hurt somebody else. It rubs salt in the wound. But holding on to that resentment and that anger, it takes root and it grows and it sends out its branches to bear poisonous fruit in every area of your life. And that resentment puts you in more bondage than the offense and the sin that created it. I mean, it does, doesn't it? Are you happy when you are made miserable thinking about the wrongs that you suffered? Or would you be happier if you could let them go? I can't let them go. Forgiveness. If someone has wounded you, somebody's hurt you, but instead of the forgiveness that would heal that wound, it's like a scab or you pick at it and you tear at it and open it up over and over again. And instead of the forgiveness that would heal it, it festers. The relationship deteriorates. And no one is happy. The sin of resentment. I mean, if it could speak to you, if the sin could speak, if it could have a sentence, it would tell you, you deserve to hold on to this anger. You deserve to hold this over that person who's wronged you so terribly. If you won't, nobody will. But you know what that sin, that, that resentment is really saying? It's saying, I want you to never be free from this wrong that you suffered. I want you to remember it all of the time. I want it to consume you so that it's all you can think about. And I want you to be in bondage to it and never ever to be free. So what resentment does, binds you. So what bitterness does, enslaves you. But love doesn't keep that kind of record. And your aim, your aim, your goal as a Christian should not be to have an orchard full of poisonous trees in your soul. Your aim should be to tear those trees out and uproot them before they begin to grow at all. 
And as soon as the offense comes, let the offense be forgotten. Remembering creates resentment and hatred and vengeance, and nothing good will come out of that. Nothing good from, comes from, from carrying a chip on your shoulder, ever. It distorts how you see others. It, it prevents you from appreciating what people do because you can't see past what they've done. And the more you dwell on it, the worse things get. Have you ever noticed that? The more you dwell on an offense, the more you think about it, the more you mull it over and rehearse it in your mind, the more offended you become. The relationship is breaking down, animosity is growing, the spirit, the, the fruit of the spirit's not going to grow in that kind of ground. But forgiveness is what sets you free. You know, there are, there are some cultures in the world, tribal ones mostly, but they're out there and they keep mementos, little tokens to remind them of past offenses that need avenging. I mean, you imagine... You have a little shelf in your home, and on that shelf you have all these little, you know, this rock happened when so-and-so tripped me going here. I have to avenge it. This, this feathers, right? All these little reminders and things to, to let them know I have a score that has to be settled. Now, we might think that's, that's funny and might never do it, but it's really easy to do the same. You just don't put them on a shelf in your wall. You put them on a shelf in your mind. The same thing. And this kind of thinking... It's not only destructive, it's forbidden for the Christian. Christians are forbidden from resentment and bitterness and grudge-keeping. You don't keep track, you don't keep score like you've got something to settle. You do the opposite of that. You forgive and you forget. Now sometimes you'll hear people say, I'll forgive, but I'll, I'll never forget what they did to me. That doesn't work, right? That, that's, that's still keeping the record, right? Believers are called to forgive and forget and overlook sins, cover offenses. Don't get defensive or angry. We show grace. You say, how much grace? Colossians 3.13, it says, forgive. So what's a, what's, a, what's a Christian called to do? To forgive as Christ has forgiven you. The kind of forgiveness that believers are called to show is the same kind of forgiveness that they have received. You say, what kind of forgiveness is that? Isaiah 43, 25. It blots out transgressions and does not remember sins. So imagine you had a record of sins. The ink bottle is poured over them and they're all covered. Illegible. Jeremiah 31, 34. It forgives and does not remember. Psalm 103.12, God's forgiveness removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east from the west. That's how far we're called to remove those transgressions from those who sin against us. You, you can't forgive a person too much. Nobody in this room is in danger of being too forgiving. You can't be. Isaiah 38, it says God has taken our sins and cast them behind His back. Jeremiah 50, 20, God says His forgiveness is so complete that, it, that the sins can no longer be found. He, he gives a picture. He says, if, if, if you were to send out a search party to find offenses, they couldn't find them. Can you imagine? Open up your soul and lay it bare. Send out a search party to find 
sin, find offenses committed against you. And no matter how long or how diligently they look, the forgiveness is so complete they can't even find a trace. Not a bitterness, not a resentment, not a trace. God treats us as though we have never sinned. And in Micah 7, 18 and 19, it says not only does he forgive, he delights to forgive. He enjoys doing it. He loves to forgive people and take their offenses against him and cast them into the depths of the sea. In Isaiah 44, 22, he blotted them out and he, it says he burned them up like a, like a mist when the sun comes up. And because of that, he says, because I have put your sins away, now return to me. Which is the heart of true forgiveness. You know, sometimes we think of forgiveness as, I'll just not think about it anymore or I'll say the word and, and really it's empty and it's, it's kind of like an armistice. Everyone's still armed or a ceasefire, right? The, the, the guns aren't blaring, but uh, certainly nobody's laid them down. The forgiveness that the Lord offers, the forgiveness that the God gives to his people is a forgiveness that lays down arms and reconciles and calls those who were once his enemies now to come and sit and dine at his table at his own expense. It is a reconciling forgiveness that makes enemies friends. That's true forgiveness. True forgiveness requires reconciliation. True forgiveness says you know, God says all of these things. He's cast them behind our back. Does that mean he has a divine amnesia that he forgets? No. But what he means is, I will not treat this person anymore based on what they have done to me at all. My thoughts about them will be for their good. Any offense, I will not count against them. I will put it behind my back. I will never think about it again. And I will treat these people as though they have never wronged me at all, ever. Their offenses against me will have no place in defining our relationship. That's how forgiveness speaks. That's the kind of forgiveness that we have been given. It does not deal with a person according to their sins. And it's not just only that they've never sinned against you, that you treat them that way, but you make it your aim not only to forgive, but to do good to them. And you don't do it begrudgingly. That defeats the whole purpose. Do you delight to forgive? Well, if you want to be like Christ, if you're a Christian, you have to. You have to forgive if you're a Christian. You say, you mean, I, you mean I really should forgive this person who's caused me all this difficulty? No, not should. Must. One of the things the Bible teaches is that forgiveness is not optional for the believer. Remember last week I, I said that when the Holy Spirit comes in, when a person is born again, the Spirit comes in and changes things. He brings things in with Him when He comes. One of those things is a spirit of forgiveness. He puts in you a forgiving spirit. 
And even if you can't forgive immediately, I mean in the heat of the offense, it can be difficult. But you will forgive sooner rather than later. Forgiveness will come. And if you, if you can't, and if you're unwilling, if it's always too much, listen to Matthew 6, 14 through 15. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. You heard that right. If you will not forgive others, God says, He will not forgive you. An unforgiving person will not be forgiven. You say, well, well why? But for a Christian, for a Christian, harboring bitterness and resentment is the most hypocritical thing that we can do. It's the most. Because what makes a Christian a Christian in the first place? It's that God has been gracious and being gracious has forgiven their sins. That's why people come to Christ in the first place, isn't it? To be forgiven. That's why Christ came to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to cover over our offenses against Him. Right, the Christian boasts. What does Paul say? I'll boast in one thing, the cross. What happened there? My sins were forgiven. The burden of my guilt rolled away. Well, how can we sing and boast about that only to turn around and demand recompense for injuries from others? It's a, it's a, it's a denial and a betrayal of the gospel that we claim to rejoice in. We rejoice. We sang about it this morning. God has forgiven all of our sins. His mercy is more. God's forgiven me. It's the best thing you can know. And then when it comes our turn to forgive, it's very slow to do it. And it's very hard. And very often instead we, we rage against those who sin against us. Maybe under our breath. We praise God for forgiving us and then refuse to give that same forgiveness to others. We say, this is wonderful over here when it's coming on me. Not so wonderful when I have to give it to somebody else. That's the ultimate hypocrisy for the Christian. It's a denial of the gospel. A gospel that says Christ paid your debt so that you can receive grace and be forgiven. We praise God for that. We, we praise God for doing something that we refuse to do to other people. But why do we do that? Why do we struggle to forgive? Everybody knows that we ought to forgive, I think. Why do we struggle to do it? It's because we think that what we did to God is really no big deal. That's just water under the bridge. But when it comes to sin against us, now there is a sin worth remembering. Oh, of course God would forget mine. They're not even that bad anyway. What I have done to him is nothing compared to what others have done to me. Now, nobody would actually say that, of course, but they don't have to. We very often live it, and our actions speak louder than our words. And I know the objection that comes is, well, I'm not perfect. I'm not God. That's too hard. You don't know how deeply I've been hurt. I don't have it in me to do this. 
And you know what the answer to that is? Yes. We are not perfect. We are not God. It is too hard. We cannot do it on our own. In your flesh, you cannot forgive. Without the help of God, you cannot forgive like God has forgiven you. And unless you know how much you have been forgiven, unless you know the forgiveness you have received from Him, everything is going to seem like too much to forgive. But it's God's Spirit in you that works the forgiveness of God through you. Which is why Jesus warns not only should you forgive, but that you must forgive. You say, but I can't. That's right. You need to be walking in step with the Spirit in order to forgive this way. But never excuse yourself or say, you can't. You can. And you must if Christ is in you because it is His forgiveness that works through you and enables you to forgive like you have been forgiven. I think of uh, Stephen. He was the first martyr in the book of Acts. He preaches to uh, the synagogue. They come out. They stone him to death. As they're stoning him to death, do you remember what he says? He basically prays the same thing Jesus prayed when he was on the cross. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Could you imagine praying that for somebody who is stoning you with stones until you're going to be dead? Asking God to forgive them? Nobody's born with that. It, it, it doesn't come from in here. It comes from up there. God working through us. That's how important this is. You know, God says in Matthew 7, 1 through 4, he is going to treat us how we treat others. God's going to forgive you with the forgiveness that you offer. If you put a limit, He puts a limit. If you pour out wrath, you will receive wrath. If you demand they grovel or earn forgiveness, and He's going to demand it from you, but you're never going to be able to earn it. And if you harbor resentment against others, God will pour out resentment on you. I mean, there's no getting around it, folks. You must forgive. Now, you might have to get up as soon as this sermon is over and go and find somebody or call somebody and ask for their forgiveness or forgive them. But if you're nursing a grudge, you are nursing it at the peril of your own soul. And that's what it is. That's the necessity of it. The, the, the importance God places on forgiveness. It is non-negotiable for a Christian. You must forgive. But how do you do it? I think that's the question this morning. Well, I all know I, I know I should forgive, but it's a very hard thing to do. My feelings are hurt very badly. How can I overcome this to actually forgive? I seem to have no power over it whatsoever. How do I bring myself not only to forgive, but to delight in doing so? Well, what frees you? What frees you and gives you the liberty to do this? To have joy and forgiveness? Well, the answer is faith. It's right back to Luke 17. Jesus tells the disciples, if someone sins against them seven times in a day, you know what we, just say, we would say to somebody who sinned against us seven times in a day? Imagine somebody, somebody does the same thing to you seven times in a day, every time comes, says they're sorry. I'm not going to forgive you because I know you're not really sorry. Because if you were sorry, you wouldn't do it again. 
You know the reason why we say that? And we've all said it. We've all thought it. I've thought it. You've thought it. Do you know why? Because we really don't know the power that sin has over us. We don't understand the bondage that we're in. And more than that, we don't realize how frequently and often we've sinned against God. You know, the Bible says that we don't just sin and become sinners. It says we're sinners. That's the reason why we sin. And everyone in this room, by this time this morning, has sinned against God probably a few hundred times. He says men will be held account for every idle word that they speak, for every careless thought that they have, for every unkind action that they do, for everything they should have done that they have left off and left undone. Well, how many of those sins does God forgive? How many of them does He just overlook? I'm talking about the hundreds. I'm not, I'm not talking about the serious things. And do you know what I mean? There are certain sins that do need to be addressed. But how many of the hundreds in a day and God simply overlooks them and you don't even think about them? Well, if we're going to be like this, if we're going to cover over all of the offenses against us, it takes faith. It takes faith to forgive like that. That's what the disciples realize. When God says, you have to forgive like this, they, they, they cry out, oh Lord, increase our faith. You remember Jesus' answer? It doesn't take much. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, this gnarled, ugly, twisted tree can be torn up from the ground and thrown into the sea. Oh yes, best to stop the tree before it takes root at all. But faith is able to take deeply entrenched, bitter trees. Right, the one that you look at with despair, thinking, will it ever be taken away? Faith is able to so remove it into the sea that not a single strand of root is left behind. And faith does this in two ways. They're kind of two tributaries that flow into one river that overflows with forgiveness. And the first one, and, and this may surprise you, you may have never thought of this before, but the first aspect of faith that frees you to forgive is faith in the justice of God. The promises of God's vengeance free you to forgive. Romans 12, 28. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So what is it that makes forgiveness often so hard? Why don't we want to forgive? Well, one of the reasons is a good one. We want justice. Right? They, whoever they are, they wronged me, they hurt me. I don't see anybody going to make it right, so I have to make it right. I need to be defended. No other defenders are, are stepping up, so you step in. But that's lethal to forgiveness. And it's lethal to, to true justice. It's lethal to your vindication, kind of ironically, right? right? Because that's what you want. I, I can't forgive this person because then they'll just get away with what they did to me. I've got to do something because I can't let them get away with it. Well, listen, listen, nobody, I mean nobody ever gets away with it. Not from a single idle word. 
The Bible says it is appointed once for man to die and after this the judgment. And when all men stand before God, God will dispense justice to all men. Anyone who's ever hurt you, anyone who's ever sinned against you, big sins, small sins, either one of two things is going to happen to them, and only one of two. And both of them ought to make you sympathetic and ready to forgive. Either they will receive the same forgiveness that you have, and God will not count their sins against them, or they are going to suffer eternally forever because of what they've done. And sins against you will be included and perfectly punished in that suffering. This is what Jesus did. You wonder what enabled him to say on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive those people who are murdering me. You say, well, he's God, so he forgives. Peter says he is exercising faith. 1 Peter 2.23. Well, they're murdering Jesus and mocking him and laughing about it. What does Jesus do? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God who judges justly. And not only was this able to stay him from retaliation, but enabled him to pray, Father, forgive them. And we don't want that. We want people to get what they deserve. We want to met out justice and, and cannot let it go. How many marriages are destroyed because of this? I mean, how many times have you thought, look at what she's doing. Look at what he's doing. He doesn't deserve love. He doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Well, I would say neither did you, but that didn't stop God. And even if your spouse does deserve justice, then hand them over to God. Leave room for the... And I'm not talking about abuse or things like that. I'm talking about those, those so many things that are annoying, those little things that seem to build up and tear the relationship apart. Hand it over to God who will deal with it. And He will. Or He'll deal with that boss. Or He'll deal with that adversary. Or He'll deal with that child, whoever it is. This is a very liberating thing to know that the moral structure of the universe remains when you forgive. Because apart from this, you're, you're never going to be able to say, you're never be able to going to live the life of Christ and say, I, I can be taken advantage of. I can be wronged. And I can forgive them even if they don't really care about what they're doing. I don't need to be resentful. I don't need to defend myself. I can turn the other cheek. I can give up my coat. I can go the extra mile. I can love my enemies and do good to them. Your sense of justice or, or injustice, especially it, against you, it doesn't have to go flying off the charts. God is not going to allow people to be taken advantage of forever. God is going to deal with that. He's going to right every wrong and justice will be perfect in its time. And you have to believe this as an act of faith. You believe that God will, uh, that the Lord of all of the earth will do justly. And so when sins are committed and you're tempted to take vengeance and hold grudges and nurse bitterness and be unforgiving, one of the ways God frees you from that and frees you to return good for evil is by assuring you that either that person will be annihilated by God and so everything you do now would be absolutely, entirely unnecessary, like 
spitting in the face of a criminal who is already condemned. It's vindictive and petty because God is going to deal with sin against you. And he has many ways of doing it. Sometimes he deals with it in this life. Sometimes he deals with it through the justice system, like Romans 13 says. Sometimes it seems to go on and on until the very end. But nobody escapes it. God is going to deal with all sin. So just let it go. Or this person will be converted. And their sin, which so infuriates you, has been paid for by Jesus Christ. And now, you think about this. Your refusal to forgive actually belittles the value of the blood of Christ. Because it says, Jesus may have forgiven you, but that's not enough for me. The blood of Christ may have been spilled for you, but I'm going to need a little more than that. Which is why unforgiveness among believers, it's not just bad, it's nothing short of blasphemous. It says Christ is not enough to cover sins in my eyes. But everyone's sin against you, if they are a Christian, it goes on to Christ and it's dealt with by Him. That's what will happen to every sin. Christ will bear it or they will bear it. And you don't have to add to either. Well, that's only one string. Because if that's all you have... God will vindicate me. That's the only way that you can think of forgiveness. There's a great risk of becoming self-righteous. There's nothing wrong with knowing God will vindicate you. But that can so easily become an excuse to be unloving, to be cold, and to be unsympathetic. It's not enough. It's only half of the coin. You also need to realize that Christ has forgiven you because you were the one who had sinned against Him greater than any sin ever committed against you. Your worst enemy, the person who has caused you the most hurt and pain and suffering in this life, has done nothing compared to what you have done to the Lord God. And if you really want to be able to forgive, you have to know how much you have been forgiven. And I've been saying this really all morning, but let me go to one of the most, I think, moving parables in the New Testament on forgiveness. Certainly the most important parable on forgiveness in this Matthew 18, 21 through 35, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Starting in verse 21, this answers a question. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. How much should I forgive? What extent does this forgiveness that you're telling me I have to give, how far does it reach? <clears throat> seven times? And in Hebrew, seven is perfect number. It's a big number. So like, do I have to forgive him repeatedly? And Jesus says, I, I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Other, other, uh, in, in Luke, seven times, 70 times. He says, your forgiveness has to have no cap to how far it goes. But then he tells him a story why. That's a question, Peter. Why should I forgive like this? Here's why. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, it may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he begins to settle, someone is brought to him who owes him 10,000 talents. Talents are a weight of gold. In, in, in today's terms, we'd be talking billions and billions of dollars. 
He owes this king 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment be made. And so the servant fell on his knees and he begged him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which isn't true. The servant could never pay back this immense sum. But he's asking him for mercy. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master, the king of that servant, released him, and he forgave the debt. All that money, it's a wash. What is it between you and me, he says? Billions of dollars forgiven. You don't owe me now a dime. What do you think the servant does? Think he's happy? How would you feel? You had a, a debt of $10 billion over your head. And you go and you, you go to the bank and you say, just, just give me more time. And I say, I'll give you better than more time. Erasing the debt. You don't owe me a thing. I think you'd be pretty, pretty happy about that. I think that might affect how you would uh, look at other people. You would hope so. Look at what this servant does. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, about, 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 uh, about $30,000. Not an insignificant sum. Certainly a lot less than what he owed. The servant went out. He found his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He says the same thing that this servant who owed the vast sum to the king said to the king, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused, and he went, and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. A servant that you forgave so much, everyone in this room, their jaws were on the floor when they saw what you did. The grace that you showed him. You, you, you don't understand. He, he went out from this place and as soon as he went out the doors, he found someone who owed him money and he grabbed him by the neck and he choked him and now he's in jail. He says, it's not right. The king agrees. Then the master summoned him back to him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, because you begged me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... Jesus speaking, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see that? Forgive them from the heart. Why? Because God has forgiven you, not superficially, not even just legally, but from the heart.
full, complete, total forgiveness. You don't do that, it empties the cross. It makes the cross look pathetic. That's why the king is so outraged. This servant thought so little of the forgiveness he received, even though it was enormous. He thought so little of it that it didn't even cover the debt that was owed to him. Couldn't cover it. The forgiveness he had received had no impact on him at all. Are you obligated to forgive then? Absolutely. Should it be difficult? Absolutely not. If you struggle to forgive, you don't know how much Christ has forgiven you. Well, let me close with a practical application to parents. It's Father's Day, right? So parents, listen. Forgive your children. There are a lot of things in this world that will tempt them and a lot of temptations that you would never want to see them fall into, and they will. And if that happens, and your child comes to you, and they're broken over what they've done, you need to be like Christ to them in that moment. And you say, well, I'm angry. No, you need to be like Christ. And I'm talking to parents of young children, parents of teenagers especially. Right? When they come to you and say, Mom and Dad, I... I looked at this, or I was with so-and-so, or I did this, I'm so sorry. In that moment, you need to be like Christ. You need to be a Christian more than ever. Because if they come to you broken for their sin, and you tell them, how dare you? That's sick. Get away from me. If you do that, you have put Satan in the place of Christ. You have armed the devil to accuse them for the rest of their lives and cut them off from ever thinking that Christ would be merciful and love them in spite of their sin. So don't look down on them. Show them Christ. Tell them, yes, it is sin, and give wise counsel. But let them know that you are so happy that they came to you, and be happy that they did. And even if your heart breaks, let them break together and tell them it does not change your love for them, your esteem for them, and your hope that you have for them. And if you're tempted to say anything else, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Be good to remember that before you speak. I mean, do you want Christ to respond like this to you? Do you want Christ to respond like to you like you respond to others? I mean, we've done terrible, shameful things. We have. And Christ hasn't counted a single one of them against us. I mean, our, our sins killed Him. Literally killed Him. And He said, it's okay. I forgive you. Come to me. And not only will I forgive you, but I will make you clean. And, and all of those transgressions that that I was nailed to the cross for, I'll cover them. Any breach that's been made between you and I, I'll repair it. And we will be totally reconciled because of me, because of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. He delights to forgive, even when that forgiveness is costly to him. I, I forget who it was. He wrote that we are never more like God than when we forgive. And if you have a hard time with this, pray. Pray for yourself. Meditate on the forgiveness that you have received. Remember that justice will be perfect and so that by faith you can be free from these things. But pray for the person you need to forgive too. And don't pray that they'll get what's coming for them. Pray for their good, knowing that if God does not intervene, they will get what's coming for them. The spirit of forgiveness overlooks sins, forgives sins. And this is the only way you're going to make it. It's the only way you're going to make it in the church. It's the only way you're going to make it in the family. It's the only way you're going to make it as a Christian. Because you will be offended. And you are going to offend one another. People are going to hurt you and you are going to hurt them. So be a forgiver. Be constantly, generously, unselfishly forgiving. Forgiveness is critical to the life of the people of God in every arena. So, so get the focus on what God has done for you. Because that's what God will do to anyone who comes to Him through Christ. That's what God, how God, you say all of this, that's, that's too much, that's a lot of forgiveness. It is. And it is what Christ has done for us. And so if you're here this morning, and you carry the burden of sin on your back, you don't have to carry it anymore. Do you think, how could God forgive me? Not only will He forgive you, He will rejoice to forgive you if you come to Him through Christ. You will be so totally forgiven that were a search made for your sins against God, not a one of them could be found. There's nothing He doesn't already know about you. There's nothing you have done too offensive. There's nothing you have said that He's not ready to forgive. No sin is able to escape from His grace. So come to Him. Come to Him before you're overrun with poisonous brambles. Come to Him so that you can be forgiven and know the forgiveness that sets you free. And if you're here this morning and you already believe you're a Christian, that's what has been done for you and it's good to be reminded of that. And it's good to remember what Christ has done for us. It's good to look back and remember when your heart rose up and your burden rolled off and you went free. It enables you to give freely of the grace you freely received. So listen, if you're really rejoicing in the gospel, if you're really saying, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was condemned and the chains are gone. If you're rejoicing in that, you're not going to be getting too worked up about what other people do to you. You'll be quick, well, maybe not instantly, but you'll be quick to forgive and you will want to forgive and you will be able to forgive. So let our prayer be, Lord, forgive us our debts 
as we have forgiven our debtors. Lord, help me to forgive with the kind of forgiveness that you have given me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in Christ we are able to forgive. Lord, it does seem like too much, but it wasn't too much for you. You have poured out grace with both hands. You have been merciful towards us. You've counted not a sin against us. Thank you, Lord. Help us to know that we have been forgiven. Lord, anyone who has been forgiven much and knows how much they've been forgiven, they will love the one who has forgiven them more. And they will not have so hard a time giving what they have received. Lord, if somebody receives $100, it might be difficult for them to part with 50 But if they have received $100 billion, then to part with $50 is not even noticeable. Lord, we have received a forgiveness without number or measure. Help us to by faith believe it so that every offense against us seems as small as it really is by comparison. Help us to believe, Lord, and to walk by faith so that we would be free to forgive. I pray for any relationships in this church that are in, in difficulty. God, you are able to restore them. You have given us all that we need for that relationship to be rebuilt and made strong, to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. To have it mended through forgiveness and through love. Lord, you give us a peace that you know, not the peace of the world, but the peace of heaven. And I pray that these relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, friends, in-laws, whatever relationship it may be, that if it is among believers, there would be forgiveness that covers over everything that strains. And Lord, I pray for those who do not know You, who do not know the forgiveness that You extend. I pray that they would believe it is extended to them and that they would come to You and have everything they have ever done washed away. Lord, there is more grace in You than sin in us. And not only are You gracious, but You delight to forgive. It's Your joy to forgive. Nothing makes You happier than when a, when a lost sheep comes home. And so I pray for anyone here this morning with a heavy heart, burdened with their sin, burdened with their offenses and the wrong things they've done, that they would come to You and ask You, Lord, have mercy on a sinner like me, that they would be set free from the bondage of sin and know the everlasting life and joy and peace that comes from You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.